When we got out of the hospital, we worked on our project in earnest. At the school library, we found almanacs, medical journals, and even a book of actuarial tables from 1987. We gathered data, we computed, and we recorded, filling up line after line with the raw evidence of human vulnerability. The journals were initially divided into eight basic categories, but as we got older, we learned with horror how many things there were that were worse than plane crashes, household accidents, and cancer. In stone silence and after careful deliberation, as we sat in the sunny, cheerful window seat of my bright attic bedroom, Jennifer wrote out new headings, in bold black letters with her sharpie, abduction, rape, and murder. The statistics gave us such comfort. Knowledge is power, after all. We knew we had a one in two million chance of being killed by a tornado, a one in 310,000 chance of dying in a plane crash, and a one in 500,000 chance of being killed by an asteroid hitting Earth. In our warped view of probability, the very fact that we had memorized this endless slate of figures somehow changed our odds for the better. Magical thinking, our therapists would later call it, in the year after I came home to find all 17 of the journals in a pile on our kitchen table, and both my parents sitting there waiting with tears in their eyes. By then I was 16, and Jennifer had come to live with us full-time, because her father was in jail after his third DUI. We visited him, taking the bus because we had decided it wasn't safe for us to drive at that age. It would be another year and a half before either of us got a license. I had never liked her father, and it turned out she hadn't either. Looking back, I don't know why we visited him at all, but we did, like clockwork, on the first Saturday of every month. Mostly he just looked at her and cried, Sometimes he would try to start a sentence, but he never got very far. Jennifer didn't bat an eye. Just stared at him, with as blank an expression as I ever saw on her face, even when we were down in that cellar. The two of them never spoke, and I sat a little away from them, fidgeting and uncomfortable. Her father was the only thing she would not discuss with me, not one word. So I just held her hand on the bus back home each time, while she gazed out the window in silence. The summer before we went off to Ohio University, our anxieties reached a fever pitch. We would soon be leaving my attic room, which we shared, and go into the vast unknown, a college campus. In preparation, we made the never list and hung it on the back of our bedroom door. Jennifer, who was plagued by insomnia, would often get up in the middle of the night to add to it. Never go to the campus library alone at night. Never park more than six spaces from your destination. Never trust a stranger with a flat tire. Never, never, never. Before we left, we meticulously packed a trunk, filling it with the treasures we had collected over the years at birthdays and Christmases. Face masks, antibacterial soap, flashlights, pepper spray. We chose a dorm in a low building, so that in the event of fire, we could easily make the jump. We painstakingly studied the campus map and arrived three days early to examine the footpaths and walkways to evaluate for ourselves the lighting, visibility, and proximity to public spaces. When we arrived at our dorm, Jennifer took out her tools before we had even unpacked our bags. She drilled a hole in our window sash, and I inserted small but strong metal bars through the wood so it couldn't be opened from the outside even if the glass was broken. We kept a rope ladder by the window along with a set of pliers to remove the metal bars in the event we needed a quick escape. We got special permission from campus security to add a deadbolt lock to our door. As a final touch, Jennifer gingerly hung the never list on the wall between our beds, and we surveyed the room with satisfaction.
Maybe the universe played out a perverse justice on us in the end. Or maybe the risks of living in the outside world were simply greater than we had calculated. In any event, I suppose we stepped out of our own bounds by trying to live a semblance of regular college life. Really, I thought later, we knew better. But at the same time, the lure of the ordinary proved to be too irresistible. We went to classes separately from each other, even if we had to go to opposite ends of the campus. We stayed in the library talking to new friends well after dark sometimes. We even went to a couple of campus mixers, sponsored by the university, just like normal kids. In fact, after only two months there, I secretly began thinking we could start living more like other people. I thought maybe the worries of our youth could be put away, packed safely in the cardboard boxes back home where we stored our other childhood memorabilia. I thought in what I now see as a heretical break from everything we saw.